You're listening to The Mix on Civ Mix, hosted by Liz Benjamin and Joe Bonia. Well, we're back in the mix. We had a little bit of a hiatus, I think. A one-week break. It felt really long. It did. I feel like I've seen you in forever. I know. And you had like a little beach jaunt. Yes, down to the great garden state of New Jersey. How was New Jersey? Uh, yeah, How was that? it was fun. Uh, it was a good time. I, I definitely got a bit crispy uh, when I was down there. And, you know, went to Cape May, went to Atlantic City, went to Wildwood, went to Long Branch. You huh. know, the and good, the good, that? the bad, the ugly of, of Jersey. People socially distancing and wearing their masks and yeah, doing their thing? In, in Cape May, Long Branch, and Wildwood, Yes. In Atlantic City, it was uh, almost hell on wheels at, at some wow. point, you know. And, of course, I think the, you know, somebody, you know, way above was telling me to get the hell out of Atlantic City because, you know, a bird, of course, you know. Pooped on you. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, that happened. And I was like, I saw the first fragments. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And it was hot. I was like, no, it's just not fun. Okay, well, interesting, though. I mean, we're having a conversation today about the challenges of reopening in yep. Facebook. Now, I mean, this is sort of dovetails from the conversation about who's social distancing and wearing yeah. their masks. People are just, you know, ignoring it flagrantly. And uh, it's really frightening because we're seeing what's happening elsewhere. And you got to wonder, you know, how long can we dodge that bullet here in New York? Yeah. But you but, look you look at like New Jersey is not doing indoor dining right now. I mean, as soon as they were set to reopen indoor dining, the you know, the governor down there, Phil Murphy, was like, No, we're not we're not gonna allow it. You know, I right. do think my, my my personal opinion is I think we are we are on borrowed time for uh, mm-hmm. for indoor dining here in New York State. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. You gotta get that indoor dining experience as you can. Yeah. But but interesting, I saw like Daniel Ballard, is that how you say his name? Like they're doing super fancy high-end outside oh, dining yes. in New York City. Yeah. So people are really, you know, making do where they can. But after a certain point, you know, you really want to branch out a little bit and people are hungry to get out and about. And that's why we end up where we are. But one of the things that we're having a conversation about is museums. Now, museums are allowed to open, which is interesting. Some uh, people would question that, I think, because a museum is a large space with uh, arguably, um, you know, a capacity to have a, a pretty significant number of people. That said, we're, we talked to uh, Chris Hunter from MySci, and they're opening next Thursday. And they actually, you have to make a reservation to go. Wow. And they really backed down on their uh, interactive exhibits, which is like their bread and butter over there. And in many museums, uh, in fact, have moved to that new normal. And now they're trying to figure out how to keep people engaged. Now, interestingly, they're a science museum. Right. So in a science museum, they have a lot of capability for innovation. If you're just sort of like, and I used this example when I spoke to Chris, the Louvre, I mean, you know, you are what you are. You've got the Mona Lisa and the David and, right. you know, a whole heck of a lot you can do to change things around. So they don't, they're kind of static, right, yep. in, their, in their presentation. So we talked about those challenges and and uh, and how they're being met in the arts community and also why it's so important to be able to maintain an arts community. I mean, and you and I have had this conversation too, 
it's it's part of the human experience to create things. I mean, that's what sort of, well, there are a lot of things that separate us from animals, but but I mean, we are animals, but you know what I mean. So I, I got not, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Not a human yeah. animal. You, you <laughs> okay. But the, the creative process is really inherent to our experience yeah. as humans. Well, I mean, I mean, I think it was great that you had Chris on today because I mean, we've had Elizabeth Sobel from SPAC. We had Tony Iaseco from the Omni Center Gallery. We, we've, we've seen the impact this pandemic has had on our arts and cultural organizations and institutions. And, you know, as you know, museums reopen, you know, these other facilities still can't reopen. So you can't right. go to see, you know, a, a dancer or a band or whatever it could be. You can't. Or a movie. Right. Or a movie. Right. So those other expressions of art, you still can't do, but at least we're moving forward. And, you know, the argument that folks have against, you know, opening up a museum is like, look, you can appreciate, you know, what we have in terms of, of art and all of that, but yet that's not okay, but yet you can go to a Walmart. So it's like, you know, there's, it's still, I mean, a lot of these museums and facilities are big enough where you have the proper filtration. So I think it's ultimately a good thing, but I think you are right. I think the, the key is so long as it's that, as these institutions do not say, Hey, you know, we're, we're lacking for development dollars right now. We need to do these events. Like, I just hope that none of these institutions say, well, because we're reopening now, let's have like a small gala to bring in people. That's like the party. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So, in, so interestingly, phase four was originally supposed to include a number of things like gyms yep. and we're not seeing that and casinos, right? We're not seeing that either. And movie theaters, I mean, all these things, cause there's no phase five. So we're no like phase five. 4.1 and then I guess there'll be 4.2. Yeah, it's, it's not like police academy. There's no, that can be a fifth one. No, yeah, there's yeah. no fifth sequel. So <laughs> we, we talked also today to the YMCA's Dave Brown. Now I've known him a long time and they're facing a serious challenge at the Y. The Y is not your average gym. I mean, you know, you may or may not love, you know, I don't know, Vent or Planet Fitness or whatever. Those are straight up businesses. The Y is a nonprofit organization that has at its core a mission to serve in particular people who don't have a lot. And also, the, but their money-making is on membership for right. people who come and work out. And they are not able to do that. Now, they are moving because they have to. They were expecting to reopen and they're not allowed to. And this is interesting um, and some sort of news that he's actually made in terms of they're going to outside fitness classes and some online classes that they had not been doing before and they're going to try it. But I don't think that that's going to close the gap for them. And they did lay off almost 1,500 people who they it's had wild. furloughed because yeah, it wasn't wild. fair. It's not they couldn't fair, right? say to these folks, we're going to open on date certain, come back. I mean, maybe you can find another job because A, we don't know when we're going to be, be able to open and B, we don't know how many people we can bring back because if we've only been able to open every third treadmill or every fifth treadmill or every whatever you have, you don't need the same staff. On right. Hand. And I think that that's the inherent challenge. I mean, look, you look at the why, look at yoga studios too, you know, mm -hmm. and, and they can't open, I mean, every, everything. So I think that additionally to that, the, the non-delineation of fitness and recreational facilities. You have, you know, those straight up gyms, but then you have facilities like, like the Y who offer so much more than just fitness. And so, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough nonetheless for Dave and, and his team. Well, he is optimistic. I mean, I, as I said, I've known him a long time and that is sort of inherent in his, he's not a alarmist kind of a person. And he 
believes that there will be a future for the Y. But right now, uh, with things going the way they have been, it's a little bit hard to see what that will be. And hopefully they survive because um, you know they've lost quite a bit and they were not able to access PPP or other uh, forms of um, assistance because they're a very large nonprofit. Yeah. So, so we will see. So I want to get to these interviews because they are important and also interesting. Because we don't it. do non-interesting content. We now. never do. <laughs> Dave Brown, thank you so much for being with us here in the mix. It's great to see you. I'm actually seeing Dave Brown. The rest of you are not seeing him, but I am, and he looks great. So it's oh, good to see you. you. I haven't seen you in a long time, friend. Um, we used to cross paths quite a bit, but you've yeah. come out in the world since then. Well, th <laughs> well, thank you for having me. It's good to see you as well. My pleasure. So, Dave, what's your formal title? I would call you like the, the czar of the Capital District <laughs> YMCA. Well, president and CEO of the Capital District YMCA. Okay. So this is a difficult time for gyms, actually. Yep. On the day that you and I are speaking, uh, there was a lawsuit, in fact, that was brought uh, against the inability of gyms to reopen officially. Um, we thought gyms were going to be in phase four. Uh, they are not because of concerns about um, air transmission of the coronavirus. But honestly, the YMCA is so much more than a gym. Yeah, that's, that's very true, Liz. And that's one of the messages that we've been really trying to convey to the, the government, the control room, is that the Y offers a lot of things that go beyond gym and swim. And we understand why people see us that way, because we have these buildings that members come in and utilize to do recreation, lift weights, go swim. Uh, but we're doing a lot of things around trying to help uh, feed people who are hungry, um, get clothes to people who need clothing. Uh, we have two housing corporations in the YMCA. A lot of folks don't realize we house uh, 170 men in the city of Schenectady who would otherwise be homeless. A lot of these men are veterans. Uh, we also have senior housing development where we house 65 um, seniors. So our reach into the community um, is pretty long, and we really try to focus on how we can be more transformational as opposed to being transactional as an organization. So we're really trying to do programs that are impactful. And one of the things that we jumped in early on is providing childcare for essential workers um, yeah. during this crisis. And we are offering what we call summer cares. Uh, which is a version of summer camp, not our typical summer camp program, but it's a version of summer camp for those who are going to work and who need a place for their kids. And we have almost 500 children daily um, involved in those programs. So there's a lot of things that happen at the YMCA. So, okay, that's, it's really, I mean, I don't know if people have read the headlines about around this, but you also had to, even though you have this really significant overarching mission and not everybody knows the YMCA does stand for Young Men's Christian Association. Did I get that right? Young Men's yes, Christian? you did. Correct. So they have long had an overarching ideological mission statement. I actually taught at the Y low those many years ago when you and I knew each other. So yep. I'm more aware of it because when you when you work for the Y, you actually have to learn all about the history, which is very helpful. But the bulk of the people who work for you work in the fitness space. Yeah. So we we employ. So we just 
in, in March, we furloughed almost 1,500 people. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of June, we ended up laying those 1,500 people off, primarily because we could not um, give them a clear answer on when we would be able to open again. And we wanted people to be able to make the proper choice for their families and not be sitting and waiting on, well, what's going to happen? Am I coming back? Do I have a job? So we ended up having to lay people off. And we spent the last 100 days being closed um, really developing plans on how we would open back up our facilities. Now, this, you have to understand, was when we thought we would open up in phase four, our plan was to open up on July 6th. And we were only going to open up five of our locations. And it was going to be primarily our wellness center. And we were bringing some people back. Mm. Um, Now, it's a lot of uncertainty as to when we can open back up. And because of that, those 1,500 people are really impacted. So a majority of our staff, yes, work in our wellness centers. They're trainers. They're instructors. There are lifeguards. There's our swim instructors, our youth sports. You know, our gymnasiums, if and when we open back up in the near future, uh, we won't probably be able to do programs like basketball. You know, everything's going to have to be socially distanced type of activities where you can safely do something without coming into contact with someone else. So it's it's had a big impact. You believe that you can. I mean, I'm a member of the Y. I'm very familiar with your wellness centers. If you're a member of the um, Greenbush Y, which is my home Y, or the Gilderland Y, you're, you know what they look like. They're, be- they're basically carbon copies of one another. Right. Um, I'm familiar with, I'm a Y rat, so I'm familiar with all of them. And, um, you know, I could see where you would be able to social distance maybe on every third machine or on every, and there would have to be time limits and there would have to be, but since it's an airborne virus and the latest information that's coming out of experts is that exhalations is really problematic. I mean, you know, it, it seems difficult. It, 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 so, yeah. So one of the things is we, um, in the several of our locations, we have the air filters that the governor is requiring for oh. malls. So mm-hmm. not all of them, uh, but in, in several of them, we meet the standard of the air filter. And in the ones that we don't, we would upgrade to that. Um, the other thing is our original plan um, you know, was that we would use every other piece of equipment and we have everything. We have stickers on the floors on where people could stand. We have new cleaning protocols. Uh, we have, um, um, you can make a reservation to come to the Y with a time limit. Uh, we have a check-in process. We take your temperature. We have you walk a certain direction so that you don't come into social contact. You're socially distanced. You have to wear a mask when you're in the building. Um, but you can take it off when you're working out. Having said that, uh, we don't know what the guidelines might change to now that there's this heightened sense of uh, concern around this being airborne. There's a much greater sense of it being airborne than it was even a few weeks ago. Um, And we don't know uh, what we've seen in some states, for example, in Massachusetts, I believe the guidelines, you must be 15 feet socially distanced in a gym or fitness center. And um, you ha- I believe you have to wear the mask while you're working out. So it varies from state to state. So there's no telling what the control room will um, put in the guidelines for here. And we would be working with the local health departments um, to help us you know, execute that plan. 
Do you believe, I mean, that the why can survive? I, it's a hard, that's a hard question to ask, Dave. I no, no, I'm glad you're asking that question because I think it's important for people to understand uh, the reality of this. So the why is a business like uh, any other business. Now we're a not-for-profit business. I mean, you went over our, our mission um, and everything, but our economic model is we sell memberships and we sell programs and those things keep our operations open. Whatever we don't um, do in terms of sales of membership and programming, we go out and raise it in what we call our annual support campaign, which on average pre-COVID is $2 million. So we have a policy that we turn no one away due to their inability to pay. So the East Greenbush Y, which we will have 13, 14,000 members at that facility, it will generate a surplus that allows us to carry one of our urban branches or a branch that's in an urban community that doesn't get that type of membership response and may operate at a deficit. And again, whatever gap we have, we go out and we raise it. When that gap gets too big and we can't fill it through dollars earned or money that we raise, then we end up having to cut back. Therein lies the problem to the question you just asked. Uh, can the Y survive? Well, we can't survive if our doors are closed. And we can't survive if when we are allowed to open back up, we're only allowed to have 20% or 25% usage of our facilities because our branch operations still have operating costs, which are the same no matter we, if we have 25% usage or 100% usage. Uh, yeah, we can, be, we can do some things around staffing. Yeah, we can do some things around energy efficiencies. But there's still a, a huge operating cost to um, some of our facilities. And in a few of our locations, which we're, we were planning to open, hope to still open a brand new location in Albany, which I might add is just on the other side of Washington Park from where the former Washington Ave facility is, will be on New Scotland Avenue, almost next door to Albany Med. Um, you know, we pay rent. So uh, some of our buildings, we actually lease the space. So have to cover the, the rent. Um, if you can't get the membership numbers, those things become uh, a challenge for you as well. So am I, am I concerned? Uh, I would say not just yet. Are we looking at how do we operate? Should our um, bread and butter of the business not come back? Absolutely. We're looking at backup plans on how we can keep the organization going. So two things. You didn't get a PPP loan? We did not. Um, large not-for-profits. Uh, really weren't eligible. We had too many employees and um, we couldn't separate out our, our independent branches because they're all under the same corporation. So right. we were ineligible. And then there were some loopholes that looked like we might be able to get money, but then it required us to hire everyone back. Well, yeah. we couldn't hire everyone back because we had no work for them to do. Right. We'd literally be, we, we, you know, we'd literally be bringing people back and having them do nothing. Um, we're, we self-fund our insurance. So this bill that's in the Senate right now about reimbursement for unemployment, um, it could potentially be huge for us if, if the president signs it. Do you, and so one thing, have you examined or when you talk about, okay, when we're gonna, maybe we have to shift our whole paradigm and do something completely different. Have you considered like outdoor or online program? Are you doing outdoor and online programming? I'm glad you asked that question as well. Um, we are offering outdoor programs beginning Monday, this Monday coming up. 
and we have a pretty extensive uh, list of um, uh, outdoor X, group X classes that we'll be doing, including yoga. Uh, we also are doing a lot of online virtual training as well. So for people who want to work out at their at home, we have links, a website with our instructors um, delivering classes. Some of those are taped and some of those will be live. Um, but we're beginning that Monday. Now, keep in mind, that wasn't our original plan. Our right. original plan was to open up on the 6th, but when we got the news, we've pivoted and we're going to go with the outdoor classes. Um, we've interviewed YMCAs across the country and we've been observing what other um, fitness centers are doing with outdoor activities as well. And attendance isn't phenomenal. Um, it's, it's a decent sized group, but in comparison to what you're used to seeing, um, the numbers are, you know, they're, they're lower. And I think a lot of people are still concerned about coming out and, um, you know, getting sick. I think others, um, you know, they're not into outdoor, you know, working out. It's hot. It is hot. <laughs> it's been hot, hot summer. Um, you know, that type of a thing. I think part of what's going, and I know you didn't ask this question, but I'll just give you my perspective. I think part of what's happening is the governor is looking at the situations of confined indoor activities oh, yeah. and the fact that we're having a nice summer and he's saying, hey, you know, people can swim, they can bike, they can hike, they can run outside. There's enough outdoor exercise opportunities. We don't need to put people back indoors. Right. So, and then I think what else is happening is he's looking at the numbers spike in other states. Um, and in, in some of those states, gyms, malls, movie theaters, they've seen a spike in those particular places. And he's saying it's not worth the risk. So we're concerned about whether or not we'll be able to open during the summer. We're even more concerned about what's going to happen during the school year because we typically serve 2,500 children every day after school. Mm. If the schools are not open and or they will not allow after school space to be utilized because they want to send people home, that would have a substantial impact on us as well. Um, that's a huge part of our business. Well, it's, I guess the, the most difficult question is, is there a timeline by which you need to make a decision? Okay, we need to mothball this building or okay, we need to, I don't even know, whatever. Yeah, um, so the answer to that is um, the sooner we know the better. And what we've seen since March is that this has been a very fluid process. So we've developed different plans. If A happens, go to B. If B happens, go to C. So we have different um, plans that we'll pivot to depending on what happens. Um, for us, it's really about, in any business, it's about managing your cash. Yeah. And we've, we've been able to plan out what our cash, so we plan for the worst case scenarios. And um, so if we can't open our doors, um, you know, we, we could stay in business for another year provided that our members would continue to be what we call sustaining members. Uh, we've got a number of people who are still paying their membership and it's going to be a tax deductible donation. Mm. But that number's starting to drop because people have hung in there for three, four months now. And they're saying, well, you know, I got to take care of my family too, which I completely understand. Uh, we can't have people doing this in perpetuity, um, especially if they can't use it. And a lot of these people may have lost their jobs, um, different circumstances. So um, it's a really hard question to answer, but we do have a plan that we think takes us out through the next year. 
And we do have plans that if we get down to certain levels of cash, what the organization would look like and how much we would be able to actually do. And it's, it's not a pretty picture. It, you know, the longer it goes and, and not being able to generate revenue, it gets uglier and uglier. No, no business can survive um, if it cannot bring in the revenue that it's you know, used to bringing in. Eventually, you run out of cash. Well, this is very concerning. I've been a Y member since I was like 12 at various mm-hmm. different locations. And we're rooting for you. And well, hopefully you. you come back and uh, talk to us again. And we will continue to watch the headlines. And uh, thank you so much, Jay Brown, for being with us. Hey, thank you for giving me the time. I'd be happy to come back anytime and talk with you. And uh, thank you for being such a long-term uh, Y committed member. We really appreciate you and your husband there. And uh, it's great to see you. And I look forward to hopefully seeing you again sometime soon at the Y. In a, in a safer and t- a healthier time. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Catch new episodes of The Mix each week exclusively on civmix.com. Well, we're back in the mix with a very interesting plan for you today. We have with us at this moment, Chris Hunter, Vice President of Collections and Exhibitions at MySci, which if you are not aware, is a very cool place in Schenectady. It is the Museum of Innovation and Science. Chris, thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, So... This is part of phase four, which is museum reopening, but like so many other things, it's been reimagined, right? I mean, for example, um, MySci is like so many other institutions of its ilk, was very hands-on and interactive, which is not possible anymore. Yes, yes, so so we've been closed since the middle of March, and we're reopening on Thursday, July 16th. And, and we have had to reimagine quite a bit. Well, we're, we're still gonna be interactive to a, to a certain extent. We're actually closing off probably about, about a quarter of our interactives. But we actually, actually did, did during the month of June as we Made a made a big spreadsheet listing every single interactive in the building, and we ranked them based on low, medium, and high. Huh. So what is medium? What's low as opposed to high? Yeah. Yeah. So so low is like a push button, a push button or a knob, something that can be wiped down after after every use. Mediums were actually things that had multiple fixed parts. For instance, we have a pedal generator and you have to flip a switch and then then pedal the bike. And, and then oftentimes when people are doing that to study themselves, there's, there's a bar on the front of it that they grab onto. Right. So, so those are all thing, things that can be cleaned, cleaned after every use. The, the high, what, if you if you look at the science, especially especially as of as of June June tenth, and talking about the aerosols and right. and how it spreads through the air, right? We have an exhibit on renewable energy that <laughs> has three exhibits that focus specifically on on wind and aer, aerodynamics. Yeah, that's out. 
Yeah. Those are out right now. The the bubbles in the water table or are are like where you're kind of envisioning them as like tiny little swimming pools. Mm. So so those those are pro probably going to be out now. And and there's some other things though, like our Kiva blocks, our magnet table where you pick up the magnets and you can play with you can pick up washers and with them around a magnet and our air rockets and our shake table for thing, things that can be cleaned after every use it's 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 just there we kind of categorize them as loose durable materials yeah it sounds like a lot yeah. i mean in yeah. other words some of this also has to be balanced with the needs of your workforce, right? I mean, you you yeah. um, go to the supermarket and there's somebody literally standing there w all day long, wiping down the cash register, wiping down every yeah. cart, et cetera. But you know, you I mean, that's a lot. That's a heavy lift for an organization yeah. that's not that large. Yeah, but, yeah. So with things like the Kiva blocks and the air rockets, we've kind of reimagined those, and we're actually creating a like roped off interactive space. Uh huh. And when people come in, they'll get bins filled with about 80 to 100 Kiva blocks, a couple plastic bottles for the air rockets, and some magnets. They're, they're all things that, that we have hundreds, if not thousands of. Huh. So, so each person, so each family coming in get, gets one of these kits. They can go into the space. They can we'll limit the number of people in the space at, at a time. When they get done, they can take it over, put it on a wire rack, and then walk away and enjoy the rest of the museum. And, but you, and, go ahead, sorry. Uh, and, and then that, that rack, that, that, that bin, then, then gets taken to the back, sanitized, left to dry overnight, and then comes back out the next morning. Huh. So you've all, but you've closed down like the planetarium, for example, because that would be too many people sitting in a closed space, just like movie theaters, effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The planetarium is 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 really like a tiny movie theater. Our, our capacity is sixty one, so at twenty five percent, that's fifteen people. Yeah. So that doesn't make it financially feasible. And then even with those fifteen people, with the air conditioning in that tight space. It just, just didn't just didn't seem like a like a good good idea right now. It seems like so as much as you know, I don't like this whole idea of like silver linings to be found in the pandemic, but this definitely as a person who is in a creative space and a person whose responsibility it is, a, a, an industry whose responsibility it is to imagine how to get people engaged and how to encourage them to experience things that they're not used to this was like a maybe a chat like a cool challenge in some ways for you yeah it was actually i mean kind of reimagining the, the traffic flow and then the other challenge we went into is is we had booked this exhibit called design zone which is one of the most interactive exhibits out there right and we postponed that for for about two years and so so all of a sudden we had a our changing exhibit space that i mean we wanted to give give people a cool experience when they when they come here so so we're fortunate versus versus other other science museums that that we also have the collection 
and we have the history of innovation and we also have a a community collection so, so we decided to do one exhibit centered around each we've got a community exhibit centered around the kind of the history of play and outdoor recreation yeah and then an exhibit the the story of sound of, about the history of sound recording and kind of kind of the engineering evolution of recorded sound have you i mean during the time when you were forced to close i mean you um did take out a, a paycheck protection program loan which enabled you to keep people on um and the fact that you're able to come back I mean, uh, there's some limited theater that is coming back in the Berkshires, I've seen, but like Broadway, as you know, it's just yeah, um, not the same because they have big, massive audiences of people, you know, they're not going to come back for a long time. So in some ways, you know, from an arts uh, community perspective, museums are lucky because they have like static exhibits, they can have static exhibits and they can have a flow of people moving from point A to point B and they don't stay long. Are you going to limit the amount of time people can stay? Well, well when we reopen on July 16th, we're limiting it. We're have a morning session and an afternoon session. Each session is li limited to 50 people. Uh -huh. And admission is actually going to be free with, with a su suggested donation. But, but people then have to go to our website to reserve a space in that. And have you had people interested already? Have people expressed interest? Or is the um, availability to res reserve available yet? It, it just just went live on Monday, and and we do have reservations for for most of the day, days coming out. I think we put the first two weeks out, but but there are still good good number of openings at, at this point. Well, it, which just goes to show you, I mean, people are just so, I mean, particularly people with kids, but not even relate, you know, not even relegated to that. People are just really interested in getting outside their houses. And, you know, there's only so many walks you can take. <laughs> it's, it's a good thing we live in the capital region and there's lots, lots of, lots of great outdoor opportunities, but, but people also, also want to get culture. They still want to and continue to learn about their heritage and especially the capital region's kind of innovation heritage so, so connection with GE for that. Yep. yeah and and then it's also i mean it's an awesome thing to do on a rainy day when when you're sick of being cooped up in the house and want to get out talk to me about what you envision as the future for museums i mean is this going to be do you you said for example that you had this um, a particular exhibit that you put on hold for a real a really long time, but are you thinking that this is a blip or it's going to be a sea change? We've seen sea changes in other areas. You know, a lot of people are going to continue to work from home, for example, right? That it works for them and it works for some industries. Um, obviously, it doesn't work for museums. Uh, I guess you could have virtual museums, but it, do you imagine that this is going to be? That, that you'll be doing things differently forever. Well the, well, the Science Center industry as a whole has been holding women, the Science Center industry as a whole has been holding webinars and has actually been, been talking about this this very thing for, for quite a while. And and really the, the hope is that it's short term, but, but the challenge challenge with Science Centers is in science museums, it's been trying to get away from just the 
the push button, the touch screen, and there's this whole movement called called pro prolonged interactivity, where you're using an interactive that you can manip you can manipulate manipulate in multiple different ways. Mm. And the challenge right now is those those are actually the ones that end up be, being in the higher risk category. So, so I know there's already research going on about okay, can we can we do certain things with different materials and exploring more more things with motion sensors. We we have one of our exhibit educator people, Kurt, Kurt Beecher, who who's actually starting to develop little little apps that people can scan a QR in the exhibit and and then and then play play a computer game. Huh. And and for the especially for the for the sound recording exhibit, we're going to have QR codes set up where people can in scan a code by by one of our antique phonographs and then actually be able to watch a video of the phonograph in operation. Yeah. It may be I wonder if you think that it puts you in a better position to be a science and innovation based museum because science and innovation is your game. That's what you do. <laughs> As opposed yeah, yeah. to say like a traditional art, um, you know, like a like the Louvre, for example. I mean, yeah. I know that they've had innovation themselves, but yeah. they're, it's not at the very heart of their mission. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's definitely plenty of innovation in, in the art museums and even, I mean, the, some of the local history museums like the Schenectady Historical Society has been, has been doing a whole Whole video series during the pandemic, and 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 they've been getting out in the community do, doing a lot of live live video things, and we've been doing our My Sci on the Move series, and a short educational videos for for people to watch. So so yeah, there's there's been a lot of innovation. It's still continuing. I mean, one of the challenges. I mean, a lot of science museums are finding is is with the summer classes right now, and. And the fact that you know there were some people that wanted virtual, there were some people that wanted in in person, and and we also we ultimately decided that the market was really too too unsure and too fragmented to to be able to produce a good good product in such a short time. Mm. So, so we kind of you're just to reiterate July sixteenth which is right around the corner. It's six days from now. That's next week. Limited yes. schedule, Thursday through Sunday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And folks who are interested should go to your website. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. And we're, we're not, not, not allowing walk-ins at this time, so a reservation is, is required. And, and, and we're following a lot of the CDC guidelines. So, you know, social distancing, you know, what now, and encouraging people to kind of clean their hands hands frequently. We've got hand sanitizing stations set up around the museum. We've kind of retooled our maintenance staff, and they're they're really just going to be focused focused on cleaning. And and during the hour in between the morning and afternoon sessions, it's going to be all hands on deck for us to kind of the entire staff will be out cleaning cleaning the entire museum for the for the afternoon crew. Well, just in case people are not aware, it's misci.org. 
right? MISCI.org. Yes. And we've been speaking with Chris Hunter, Vice President of Collections and Exhibitions at MISCI. And um, hopefully people will get out and visit you, Chris. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Catch new episodes of The Mix each week exclusively on civmix.com.